Iger doing a deal with Penn, even in the gaming space, Penn is not the Mercedes. Right. Uh, this is a sign that he is being incredibly practical here. Welcome to the Powers That Be Daily, Puck's podcast focused on the intersection of Wall Street, Washington, Silicon Valley, and Hollywood, and the players who run it all. I'm Peter Hamby. It's Monday, August 14th. Today on Media Monday, John Kelly and I discuss ESPN's $1.6 billion deal with Penn Gaming, a deal that puts ESPN, owned by Disney, in bed with the big business of gambling. What is Bob Iger up to with this deal, and how will ESPN fold sports betting into its offerings? John and I also discuss Paramount's decision to sell off the historic publishing house Simon & Schuster, and whether it means big media conglomerates like Paramount are fully in sell mode. We discuss all that and much, much more on today's episode of The Powers That Be. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you profit with NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash powers that be. netsuite.com slash powers that be. That's netsuite.com slash powers that be. Welcome to the Powers That Be, everybody. Happy Monday. By the time you're listening to this, I will be on a plane from Los Angeles to Des Moines, connecting through Minneapolis or Denver or somewhere because there are no direct flights from LA to Des Moines, as you might expect. But my friend Sasha Eisenberg, the uh, journalist uh, who also lives here in LA, he was at uh, my wedding with you, John Kelly. Yep. So did inform me there's a direct Allegiant flight from LA to Cedar Rapids, which is interesting. So the Des Moines Chamber of Commerce needs to start figuring out how we can get from LA to Des Moines because there are some political journalists here who do want to go to the Iowa State Fair. I actually knew about that flight because I remember years ago talking to Michael Avenatti, who was uh, taking that flight, as you recall, Peter, uh, for a very, 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 very brief moment in time. He was contemplating a serious run for the presidency of the United States. But uh, those seem like uh, uh, far gone times. I do. He was actually, when he was on house arrest, he was a few blocks from my old house in Venice. Near some like quite lovely restaurants. It's unfortunate he was on house arrest, ankle bracelet life. John, happy Media Monday. I want to start with some big news in the sports slash Disney world this week. Dylan Byers wrote about this for Puck. ESPN is entering into a $1.5 billion gambling deal with Penn, the mm-hmm. gaming and, and, and betting conglomerate. As part of this deal, Penn will no longer be associated with Barstool Sports. They have sold that back to 
Dave Portnoy, the founder of Barstool Sports, um, he did a emergency press conference uh, mm-hmm. online, <laughs> as he usually does, to talk about this. Portnoy is fascinating, and so is Barstool, obviously. But I'm yeah, curious why it. why Bob Iger and Disney want to get into gaming. Obviously, ESPN. This has been the trajectory for ESPN for a while. I mean, they have entire shows on various ESPN channels about fantasy sports and like literally they'll be covering like NBA playoff games and then they'll throw to a segment on sports center about like the odds, which is just like a little uncomfortable if you're like a sports purist, but what's your take on this? Well, they did it because they have to. And you know, you'll remember years ago in his first go around, Iger said that, that he didn't think gaming could exist under the, the family friendly Disney brand. And that was a justification that he he employed in a number of times during his tenure. You may recall also, we have forgotten this culturally, but Iger went down the line about buying Twitter and ended up passing on the opportunity because uh, for the very same reason, he thought it was too cringy and disgusting mm-hmm. for Disney. But things have changed. Disney needs the money. Uh, it's going to be a couple hundred million bucks in revenue. Obviously, that's not enough to... Uh, patch the hole in the income statement from the declining revenue that comes from linear and and the fact that it's pretty clear now that the Disney Plus franchises uh, aren't enough to support a, a Netflix competitor. And given the fact that Iger needs to you know pay ten billion and maybe more than that to buy Hulu, so this is something that he probably didn't want to do, but he felt like he had to do it. And as you pointed out, it seems like one of the contingencies of the deal was that Iger could pluck his nose when it came to getting into gaming, but he wasn't going to deal with Dave Portnoy, who obviously has his own litany of personal shortcomings. But the larger thing that I think you know needs to be contemplated here is that it's too late for gaming. Hmm. The gaming phenomenon, the legalization of gaming uh, started a number of years ago in, in proudly in the state of New Jersey. And uh, it actually is sort of a, a corollary to streaming at first, it was DraftKings and FanDuel, and they, and they were offering essentially the same product, right? Like, uh, so all they could compete on was marketing, which is why for a number of years, near middle-aged guys like me and you would see DraftKings and FanDuel on the sides of every NBA court or, or flashing up on the sides of any NFL uh, game because they were trying to get market share and spending hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars to attract people to their platform. And of course, they weren't the only geniuses who could figure out that, you know, you could create this software platform. It's it's basically an interactive exchange. It's highly regulated, and which is a a cost. But beyond that, it's not a a huge headcount to to do this. These are Mm -hmm. software companies at the end of the day. So you saw a proliferation of other companies, BetMGM, Caesars has one of those, those great ads with the, with the Mannings and, and the J.B. Smoove hmm. and Foxbet started a number of years ago. So right now, uh, a lot of these companies are underwater. I mean, they're, they're in kind of like an Uber versus Lyft era where they're spending so much money for market share. And a lot of the market has been gobbled up. So Disney is late in this. It's not going to be a solution to its many P&L problems. But I think that, you know, it, it's actually a demonstration of the fact that Iger has got so many plates in the air right now that he had to strike a deal to take the the secure revenue. Iger looked at peace last Wednesday when I was at SoFi Stadium seeing Taylor Swift <laughs> and he was up uh he was up in his box. He was he was spied at Taylor. <laughs> he looks but great. He still looks incredible. Looks fantastic. John, how much do you, does this deal have to do with Kevin Mayer and Tom Staggs coming back into the Disney fold? Iger obviously brought his former deputies in. 
a few weeks ago. I mean, is this partly related to that? Are they just moving very quickly to figure out the books? You know, I would assume that these deals take too long to shape, that this was something that presumably was in the works. And I think Iger probably uh, would have started to set this up earlier in the year. And, mm-hmm. and, and this is just closing now. But I would also assume that Mayer um, in particular would co-sign this. This seems like this sort of, you know, he, he's, a, he's a pretty clear-eyed dealmaker. So I think that they're, they're looking a few floors above this, so to speak, at mm-hmm. the, the larger challenges that ESPN has. You know, and they are significant. We, we've talked about this before, and, and we kind of romantically grew up with the network in its heyday. But now it's just in this unbelievably challenged position. You know, it was in 100 million households a decade ago. It's going to be in 60 and then 40. The, while the cost of these rights are only getting more expensive, the infrastructure is so unbelievably expensive. And yet it needs all this to make money. Mm-hmm. When you think about the recurring revenue to ESPN just by being the, the most bid for asset in a cable bundle, and what an extraordinary business model that was. This is an example that happens when business models go away. And mm-hmm. it, the the DTC audience for this is going to be smaller. They'll probably pay less for it. And ESPN generates meaningful, I think a couple billion dollars a year, at revenue in spots, sponsorships, et cetera, for its marquee events like the NBA Finals or the college football playoff. And it needs those. It, it's, it's not going to generate that money from like, you know, John and Peter playing pickleball at, at Woolman Rink. Um, so uh, I think that that's what Mayer and Staggs are trying to figure out. What fits into that and what won't fit into that. And I got to tell you, like, I grew doing a deal with Penn. Even in the gaming space, Penn is not the Mercedes. Uh, right. This is a sign that he is a pra- he's being incredibly practical here. And he is, um, as you like to say, he is saying the quiet part out loud. You know, we have limited options. We need more free cash flow. We have a lot of things that are sitting on our P&L that are in declining value and have to be moved very, very quickly. We are not going to be romantic about this. The, the, the first Iger tenure, which was filled with romance, storytelling, creators, bringing in new companies. In the second era, it's all about clear-eyed, cutthroat financial engineering. Dylan astutely pointed out in his piece that ESPN has so many reporters who just deliver scoops and scooplets about trades and injuries, et cetera. Th- those bits of information, even before yeah. this deal with Penn, that stuff is very valuable in Vegas. <laughs> if like Schefter is sitting on news that he's about to break, that like Tyreek Hill pulled a hammy and won't be playing today, like are there are there like firewalls between editorial and the stuff leaking out to betters or in this case pen i don't know i I don't i don't again like gambling is like not necessarily my world but it just feels sort of icky i think there are two things that people in bristol are talking about right now with a lot of intention and dylan brings them both up in the story one is how much this relationship will push them in the direction of programming decisions and he has a good example of that story about how when ESPN got the UFC rights, they started to cover UFC, even though only a fractional population of their audience cares about that. ESPN has gotten close to, you know, it's become gambling adjacent in its coverage of fantasy football, which is sort of like um, kid-friendly gambling. Yep, um, yep, yep, yep. But, it, but it does it obsessively and, and often moronically, you know, and I think that that's 
Uh, we should expect much more of that, much more obsessive, moronic garbage about all the um, covering the lines and the over-unders. And you can imagine the, the types of on-air personalities who, who have expertise in this area, right? They're, they're not necessarily going to have the wit and witticism of, of Keith Oberman. So that's one thing, but maybe that just sort of is what it is. And the other is about, your, you, you nailed it with this point about Schefter, like these guys, Schefter, Woj, a couple others, they have market-making information. And you know, there are a number of questions. Do, do you try and keep them inside of this relationship so that it's actually a, an edge to go with ESPN bet over Fox bet that Woj may be offering his information exclusively into that service? Does Woj want to do that? I imagine it's the last thing he wants to do. And, and you know, and would Woj want to yeah, be incentivized to cover like how actually, you know, the air conditioning in, in the Milwaukee Fiserv Center is colder and, and you know, Giannis only shoots 59% from the free throw line. I, I don't think, I, I'm sure the answer is no, 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 no. This is not the bet these guys signed up for when they, when they joined ESPN, but it, it, this will affect their lives. There is little question in my mind and Iger, you know, he's got bigger fish to fry. So he'll, he'll let Jimmy Bataro manage those egos. Um, for the record, Giannis is a career 70% uh, free throw shooter. Is it really line. 70? Um, oh, I'm stunned. Oh, wow. Dude, this is the uh, yeah, anti-Euro bias in NBA coverage. Giannis is a legend in real time. Um, oh, wow. So, John, I want to take a quick break and, and come back and talk a little bit more about this and, and maybe what it means for Barstool. Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care, and we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Window. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Welcome back to the Powers That Be, everybody. It's Media Monday. I'm talking to John Kelly about ESPN's deal with Penn. I want to get into KKR buying Simon & Schuster in a minute and, and, and what that means for Paramount. But first, real quick, another player in this whole ESPN deal is Barstool. And Barstool was in a partnership mm -hmm. with Penn for several years. And now Dave Portnoy uh, has purchased back the entire <laughs> entity of, of Barstool. He now owns it in full once again. What does this say about Barstool's health? I mean, they, they, they are a media success story, obviously. They are. Barstool's got a great CEO, Erica Nardini, who Chernin made that match. I think she came out of Yahoo. She's a, you know, a, was a pretty serious um, operator who also, I think, you know, was able to, to rein in the, the puerile antics of Portnoy and, and that class of clowns over there. But not it, everyone's a clown. Not everyone's not a clown over there. <laughs> Well, they, they she, and she moved them into a diversified business. Now, obviously, like audio, video events, stuff like that. But I don't know. I was pushing my kids in a grocery cart six months ago, and I saw um, 
in the frozen food aisle, the um, uh, one bite, everyone knows the rule, frozen pizza, which um, she had franchised after those ridiculous Portnoy videos where he, you know, walks into a pizzeria, has a slice of pizza. He eats it like a gremlin, crust first, like a total psycho. I don't know who in their right mind would ever, would ever do that. It's totally weird. But she she saw something that, that few saw, and now Portnoy owns 100% of it again. And, you know, he'll get an, another bite of the apple. He's already made tens and tens of millions of dollars, maybe uh, a multiple of that, given the um, first the, the sale to minority sale to churn in and then the the full sale to pen so you know he's he's doing fine he got he was able to buy it back for one dollar the other uh grocery store tying in with barstool uh people should be aware of is high noon um the canned <laughs> drink i it's my favorite actually non-beer canned drink uh, don't say that to kill. i love show. high noon oh. no no oh. carbs no carbs no oh carbs. my God! You, you, this is uh, you and your sorority <laughs> sisters. Uh, better than White Claws. Better than White Claws. Also, do listen to part of my take. Um, PFD and Big Cat are both great. One other quick uh, gambling thing before moving on, John. Did you see the story about Phil Mickelson? Apparently, oh my God. bet betting oh like my God. a billion dollars and then a betting on the U.S. Dollars. team in the Ryder Cup. Like that dude is a purebred gambling addict of the Michael Jordan sorts. I mean, just like, and, and he's lucky I, he's I, alive. I, I mean, no, there was a story a few years ago, how he might've been connected to like, like a mafia bookie. I mean, Jesus Christ. Right. Well, this is why he was, uh, early and often, um, in the live conversations is that, you know, everyone assumed that he was for, you know, for all his success. And he is the second most successful professional golfer of our lifetime. Not even close. And a profoundly disliked person. I remember I used to, I had a friend who used to always make fun of um, his self-proclaimed subcutaneous problem. I and mean, people used to always say, Phil, you're a professional golfer. Why are you so unathletic looking? And he said he had a, a challenge where he, he he grew muscle underneath his fat. It was, it was sub, subcutaneous. Anyway, it became a metaphor for, I think, how his brain works. Um, a, a billion dollars in betting. It, it is astonishing that he did not have a, a, a swifter demise. That is a quick way to get into a, a lot of trouble big time. If Greg Norman and Phil Nicholson moved to Riyadh and we never heard from them ever again, I would be a very happy person. Before we go, John, I want to ask you about a story that that Bill wrote. KKR, the global investment company, recently bought Simon & Schuster, the publisher, for a pretty penny, $1.6 billion. Paramount owned Simon & Schuster. This feels like another example of these big titanic media companies holding companies like like disney for example just sort of like selling off parts are we going to start yeah. to see more and more of this well this was uh, this deal was near and dear to my heart um spirited media money listeners will know that <laughs> paramount tried to sell simon and schuster this historic asset to penguin random house years ago i think in, in 2020 for 2.2 billion the deal was a catastrophe uh it couldn't get through lena khan and, and the uh the biden um antitrust machine and so you know what followed was uh the, the penguin random house ceo stepped down his uh american ceo stepped down they had to pay a 200 million dollar breakup fee uh, when the deal fell apart, which mm -hmm. put a colossal hole in their income statement, and they had to lay off a zillion people. And then Bob Bagish and Sherry Redstone and, and probably, you know, and Arya Burkhoff uh, had to go back to the well, and this was the, the best deal they could find 
after that. It's hard to sell the same asset twice and trying to sell in a very, very different deal market, which is the, you know, the 2023 deal market is very different than, than mm-hmm. years prior when money was a lot cheaper and they sold it for basically six or six and a half times EBITDA. So it's not, the, it's, it's a lot of money, but I, I'm, I'm sure that everyone looks at this and, and has their own personal frustrations. But yes, this is the first big sale, I mean, look, 1.6 or something billion dollars, Paramount Global is only worth $10 billion, which is crazy to me. The two companies that were merged to create it were either worth like 17 to $20 billion. And they're trying to sell BET to Tyler Perry for a couple billion dollars. You know, if that sale were to go through, those two deals would comprise 50% of the parent company's total value. So this is the crazy world we live in. Sherry Redstone recombined these companies um, Certainly, uh, you know, against the previous wishes of her father and God knows against the advice of Bill Cohen, not not that she was asking for it. And presumably to make the the final sale simpler, she only, you know, owns a a small minority of the company. It's like 10%, but she had, she controls 80% of the voting shares. And now we're seeing the exact opposite, right? That she's going to have to sell off a number of chunks of it to make Paramount itself more sellable. And who will buy that? You know, we don't know. This is not the deal-making environment for it. But this was a really chaotic, complex situation in which there was only one winner, I think. And that winner would be John Carp, who is the CEO of Simon Schuster, a very, very well-liked guy. And he's probably going to be um, well-compensated and equitized at KKR, where um, presumably the end game with this asset is to take it public since mm. the, the deal-making market there is is, is pretty scant. And uh, if he listens to the good people at KKR, and I'm sure he will, and, and he should, then um, there will be a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. Speaking of uh, doing deals, one of Simon & Schuster's first big hits, here's a trivia question for, for you and everyone, hmm. was how to win friends and influence people. The Dale oh, Carnegie really? classic. Yeah, wow. it was like one of their first big books. Although their first actual book, I just looked this up, was a crossword puzzle book. And they packaged it with a pencil. How nice is that? <laughs> they should still be doing that. Well, clever promotion. Uh, we should do that with, with Puck. Every subscriber gets a Puck pencil. <laughs> you know what? We have pencil. the kind of audience that would appreciate like a nice little pencil. Um, and like we've, a bespoke pencil sharpener. <laughs> no, that's a nice idea. We, we, I think we thought about bookmarks at one point. So maybe mm. um, maybe we'll give that a second look. I'm a dog ear guy. I just like a book that's oh, you like, are. just like just like messed up. Like you dropped it. Well, in you're a also lake. A, a high yeah. noon guy too. I learned today, so um, maybe we, 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 room for upgrade, Katie. You know, if you have uh, gluten intolerant friends and relatives like I do, John, you <laughs> learn to love the gluten free beverage options that are out there in the can sure. beverage marketplace. Big Bev, <laughs> John, thanks so much, buddy. Have a good week. All right, man. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of The Powers That Be. As a reminder, The Powers That Be is the official podcast of Puck. We'd like to thank Ben Landy, Liz Goff, and Alex Bigler for their editorial and production guidance. If you like what you hear, please share with a friend. It really helps us keep delivering the inside scoop that only Puck can offer. Follow us on Twitter at Puck News. I'm Ben Landy. See you tomorrow. This has been a presentation of Odyssey. Please listen, rate, review, and follow all episodes wherever you get your podcasts. The Powers That Be Daily is executive produced by John Kelly, co-founder of Puck, Bob Tabador, and Ben Landy, executive editor at Puck.